uh, page 1104 if you have one of my Bibles. Okay, so think about, I love, I was so thankful that Jonathan mentioned this doing communion uh, together, that, man, it's not about us, like, figuring out our problems. It's not about us, like, coming clean to God. Like, okay, God, I solved all my issues, now you can accept me, right? No, when we come to Christ, we come into His kingdom because we realize that we can't solve our own things. We can't do everything that we need to do, right? We come to God needy and helpless, right? Because God is like, hey, you're dead in your sin. I can bring you back to life. I can bring real abundant life and joy to your life. You can't just do that on your own. And so when we come to God, when He brings us into the kingdom, He doesn't want to just leave us there. He wants to transform our lives, right? He doesn't want to just, hey, you're good. Now just keep doing what you're doing, and I'm just thinking of you as as good, right? No, He wants to transform our lives and grow us and make us more effective into the image of His Son to be the transformation that we want to see in the world today, right? So Ephesians 2, we're going to talk a little bit about this. Look at verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. It says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. This is the gospel. It is only by the grace of God. It is nothing that we have done to earn salvation. It's nothing we have done to to earn or impress God or find approval in, in God, right? For He raised us from the dead. How many of you guys have, like, death in your life, right? We have sickness, we have pain, we have sorrow, we have broken relationships. God wants to bring that back to life. God wants to raise that from the dead. Whatever that area in our life is, even if you're a believer like who maybe got saved a long time ago, hell yeah, I've been, I've been like raised from the dead metaphorically, right? Like 10 years ago. But no, God wants to bring life continually into our lives. There are areas that are dead in our lives where I'm seeing brokenness, where I'm seeing shame and death. And God wants to bring that back to life, right? So he keeps going. Why does he do that? He says, along with Christ, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now I think about that, it's like, hey, that's really nice. Like, I got saved a while ago and I'm united with Christ in this metaphorical sense, but here we are seated in this hotel room. I don't feel like I'm seated in the heavenly realms, right? Well, you're actually seated in the heavenly realms this morning, the fifth floor of the Bluemont Hotel right here. This is it. This is what it's, it's going to look like in all of its glory. Uh, no, but... Really, in a real sense, we are united with Christ. We are united. And it's not just like, hey, you're united when you die and you go to heaven. Like God brings you to this place of like, yeah, I get to go to heaven when I die. No, right now, God has ushered you into this position of like being in the throne room with God. It's like you're being brought into the inner circle with God. And I think uh, Brogan and I were at a wedding yesterday. And you think about like the wedding party up there. The groom and the bride, they all have like their best friends up there. And sometimes you're at an awkward wedding where it's like, you can tell they don't really know the people that well. And it's like, who are those people? Like, that's weird. But in general, it's like the groom has his best friends up there supporting him, right? They're up there standing with him. And the bride has her best friends up there supporting her, right? Like standing with her in agreement. Man, we are so pumped about this wedding, this ceremony, this um, coming together, these two people, we're in total support, right? And, and they're like, 
you would think that those people are in the inner circle of the bride and the groom's life, right? That when the, the, the bride or the groom have like a great idea or they're going through some tough things in their life, the first people they're going to are those people in their inner circle, their best friends, right? And that's what God has done with us, that when we come to Christ, when we come in this place of humility and God redeems us, He says, hey man, I'm bringing you into my inner circle. You don't deserve it, but I'm making you worthy of that. I'm going to bring you into this place. So now, man, anytime I have a good idea or I want to like talk about something, I want to bring a new plan into action, man, I'm going to go to you because you're in the inner circle. I'm going to bring you into this thing, right? So that's, that's pretty cool. It's like a, this big privilege that we have to be brought near to God. So then he talks about why, why did he do that? Because it's like, hey, I don't deserve that. I have no like, good ideas. Like, I'm not going to give God advice on anything. Like, why am I in the inner circle? You know, like, hey, God, uh, you're doing this wrong here. Like, listen to me. He's like, no. But he, he's done this for a reason. He goes on in verse 7. Why? So that God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that He's done for us who are united with Christ. So why? Because it's His nature to pour out love and faithfulness and kindness on those that He loves. And who does He love? You and I. Us. He loves you so much that it is His nature to pour out unfailing love and faithfulness on those that He loves. And because it's His glory at stake, He says, hey, why does He do this? Because He can point to His own glory being manifested. Hey, this is the kind of God that I am. I'm going to do this for you. You don't deserve this, but I'm bringing you to this place of privilege and honor to be with me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that's really cool because we can't take credit for it. Right? He's like, I'm doing this for you. You can't take credit for this. He even says right after that, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. It's not your track record that brings you to the, to the throne room of God. It's, it's not your position or what you've done to earn it. If you did, it wouldn't be called salvation. It'd be called like earned-ation or like deserve-ation. Like, hey, God, I deserve this. You owe me. You know, like, no, none of us can come before God and say, hey, you owe me. I did this, right? None of us can do that. And so it's only by His grace that we've done this. And I think that's really cool. And you may be thinking like, hey, what does this have to do with prayer? Like, I thought we were talking about how to pray. So we're going we're gonna to get there. Um, but turn to Colossians 1.22. It's, it's like two books later, like five pages later in your Bible. Colossians 1.22. This is really cool. So this is Paul again writing to this church. He says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He's brought you into His own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? So think about it like, I promise this has something to do with prayer. That's, it's really going to be foundational for, for prayer. But think about this first. When you came to God, it was nothing that you did. Your sin did not withhold you from, bring, from being brought to this place of privilege and honor with God. Right? So, if it is not like how awesome you are or your lack of sin that brought you to this place, then your sin can't remove you from that place. Does that make sense? So when you make a mistake, when you're like totally off the deep end or you're like totally like making this mistake and you're in this place of sin and, and like 
doing things that you probably know that you shouldn't, and then afterward you're like, oh man, I'm such an idiot, why did I do that? That doesn't remove you from this place of privilege, because your lack of sin didn't put you in that place. Does that make sense? It was only by God's grace that we've been put in this place of privilege, being brought into God's inner circle. And so it had nothing to do with our own sin, or our own goodness, or our own, like, how awesome we are. And so when we cease to be awesome, it doesn't remove us from that place. So there's a lot of freedom and security. Does that make sense? If that, I find, it like blows my mind because it's purely God's grace on our lives that we did not deserve this to do that. And it also solves some of our problems when we talk about prayer. Like sometimes we feel like God's really far away and I'm just talking into the air or the ceiling or the wall. But this is saying, no, He has brought you into His own presence. So God's not far away. He's like right around you all the time. And actually, you are in this place of privilege with Him all the time. And you're not unworthy. A lot of times we're like, oh man, I don't want to come to God because I don't want to bother Him. He's got a lot of bigger problems. I mean, there's you know, hunger in Africa and, and things like that that are much bigger deals than what I've got going on. And you know, I'm, I'm so messed up anyways. I have so much sin in my life. Why would God listen to me anyways? Well, remember, we just talked about it has nothing to do with your sin anyways. Your sin can't remove you from this place of privilege. It is God's grace on your life. And so when we know that, then we're not, I'm not unworthy because God has placed me in this, in this place, in His inner circle. So we can come before God boldly. And actually, that's what this next verse we're going to look at, Hebrews 4.16. So, knowing that, that we're not unworthy, not because we're awesome, but because God has made us worthy, and knowing that He's not far off, that He's ushered us into His presence all the time, Hebrews 4.16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So as believers, we sit in this very privileged position. We've been given a place in the council of heaven. It's like the war room in those movies where there's like the generals sitting around the circle like plotting out their strategy. It's like you're being brought into this place like, Hey man, here's the plan. Hey, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to do on the earth. What do you think about that? How, how, do you, how can you be a part of that? And you're like, what? Like, I know nothing. Like, why are you asking me anything, you know? And my brother got a job uh, at this company. My brother lives in Hollywood, and they, like, are living the Hollywood dream. Like, don't follow them on Instagram. You'll feel really horrible about your life. Um, but it's, like, sort of depressing. Um, but... That he got this, this cool marketing job with this company that works with Google. And so their office is like what you would think Google's office is. It's like amazing. And he like texted me this video just of his office. And there's like this spaceship like hanging from the ceiling. There's like this fully stocked fridge and snack bar and all this stuff. And you get paid to just like work on cool stuff, you know, all the time. And he said that they actually work with Google, with Google on these projects, uh, these like invention competitions that Google is sponsoring now. Um, one of the recent ones, SpaceX won, and Google donated like millions of dollars to SpaceX to do this thing. And the company my brother works for markets that competition. They do like you know all the online marketing, the advertising, you know all that stuff. Um, and his first day on the job there, he brand new, like knows very little about the company and how they operate. And and he like they want to show him like all the different things that the company does, bring him in on some different projects, that, hey, this is kind of what we're into right now. So they bring him into this, this team that's working on some project, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing, with all these seasoned veterans, right? They're like, they've been doing this for years, they're really good at their job, 
and it's like this multi-million dollar project, and JC's first day on the job, and they're like, hey, this is what we're thinking. Hey, JC, what do you think, man? Like, what do you think we should do? He's like, what? They're like, I, I, I knew. I know nothing. Like, I was hoping maybe you could fill me in. And they were like, no, like, you deserve to be here. We gave you a job because you have the skills to do what we, we're doing, and so we want your feedback. What do you think we should do? He's like, uh, okay, I mean, here, I mean, Here's, here's, I guess, my thoughts, you know. And that's how God is with us. He's, like, brought us into this place. We're in the inner circle. And, yeah, we, we don't deserve to be there. We're there because God placed us there, right? If we deserve to be there, then we could screw it up and not be there anymore, right? So, thank God we don't deserve to be there. Because I make mistakes all the time, and every day God would be kicking me out if I deserved to be there at one point. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, we sit in this place of privilege because of God. So we have the opportunity to interact with God on a daily basis through prayer. That's what prayer is, is interacting with God. Through our words, we can speak to Him, and we, He can speak to us. We can hear His voice. Isn't that incredible? So that's what that has to do with prayer. The same way that we came to Christ, that God brought us to this place, not because of our own worth, because we were helpless. That's how we pray, too. Make sense? Cool. So, let's, let's talk about what, is, what does that do? How does that work? What, how do we do this thing? So, turn to James 5.16. It's like one of the last books in the Bible. James 5.16. This is really cool. I'm really excited about this passage. It blows my mind that like these people were like just as human as I was. And I like hear like heard from God and like wrote this stuff down. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is so amazing. This blows my mind, you know? And that we have the opportunity to hear from God in a similar way that the guy who wrote this book heard from God. Isn't that cool? Okay, so John, James five sixteen says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then he goes on, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And you may think like, man, that's cool. I wish I was a righteous person and could have like effective prayers. Well, of course, the, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has wonderful results and produces great things. Like, of, ob, it should be obvious to us by now that that is true. Because if God deems someone holy and blameless, like we just read, God says that you are holy and blameless and you stand before Him without fault, don't you think that that person's prayer would be pretty effective? A person who's holy and blameless and without fault? That person's prayer would be pretty good, right? Well, that's each of us. God calls you holy and blameless and you stand before Him without fault. So don't you think that your prayers would be effective if you were holy and blameless? Yes, it should obviously the earnest prayer of a righteous person avails much because God, God makes that person righteous. It's not that that person... I think sometimes I read this verse and I'm like, man, I wish I was more righteous. I need to be like doing more good things. But it's not my good things that make me righteous. It's not my good things that give me the credibility with God to have effective prayers. It's the righteousness of Christ. That when I'm found in Christ, God looks at me and He sees Jesus. That Jesus has perfect righteousness and so when God looks at me, he's like, hey, yeah, that's like my son. I'm going to, yeah, of course I want to listen to him. Like he's perfectly righteous, holy and blameless, right? 
So then, that's one side of it. Our prayers are powerful. And I think this is in our notes. If you guys want to write this down. Our prayers are powerful because we sit in a privileged position. And like we just talked about, it has nothing to do with what we've done. All we had to do was believe in who Jesus, Jesus is and what He's done for us. But the second part, the other reason our prayers are powerful is think about this word earnest. The earnest prayer. What does earnest, earnest mean? Earnest means to be... Um, to not to fake it, right? To be real, to be honest. So, follow my logic here. How do, pe- how do righteous people pray? We're going to get to like the really practical thing in a second, but when the disciples ask Jesus, like, hey, how do we pray? Like, we, a lot of people have their own ways of praying. What do you think? Part of what he said was, hey, pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, follow my logic here. The kingdom comes as Jesus becomes king of your life, Right? The kingdom comes into your life when Jesus becomes king of your life. So when you say, Jesus, I'm coming under your rule and reign, have your way with my life in every area. The kingdom comes, right? But it's got to be your life. It's got to be like your real life. I think sometimes we come to God with these masks and this like fake version of ourselves that's like this better version of ourselves that we try and be more spiritual. Right? Like, God, like, take me like this. I mean, I'm like this, but like, I'm going to pretend to be better than I am. And God's like, hey, that's not like, I don't want to work on the fake you. I want to work on the real you. I want to like bring the kingdom into your real life to cause real change in your real life. So we come to God in a real way. And earnest, we talk about earnest, means sincere. It means without pretense. It means genuine. So we come to God in a genuine way. God, here I am with all of my messes, with all of my brokenness, with all of my mistakes. This is the genuine me. We don't have to fake it. Think about righteous people. Remember we just talked about God ushers you into this place regardless of our sin because all we did was believe. So righteous people know they don't have to fake it. Righteous people know they don't have to be insincere. They don't have to pretend to be more spiritual than they are because they can bring the messes of their lives to God. God doesn't demand perfection because Christ is our perfection. So when we're found in Christ, God sees us as perfect. He sees us as Christ. So when we bring our real selves to Jesus, we give Him the opportunity to work on the real us. So the earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Does that make sense? That's like blows my mind. Like, I had nothing to do with this. All I did was realize how broken and messy I am. And Christ took my life and placed me in this place of privilege. All I have to do is believe. All I have to do is put myself under the Lordship of Christ. I say, Jesus, you're, you're all that I need. I don't need to be perfect. You're already perfect. And that's, that's why we can come boldly before the throne of God. So prayer is powerful because prayer changes us. That's the second thing. Prayer changes us. Prayer ushers God's kingdom into our lives, allowing us to be ambassadors, carrying His kingdom everywhere that we go, everywhere around us. And so you could say, there's kind of a phrase that people say, that salvation is not about going to heaven when you die, but it's about heaven being brought into your life now. So that you have heaven walking around with you everywhere you go. When you're sitting in your class, it's like a little piece of heaven sitting in your classroom, taking notes, and frustrated that your teacher isn't just giving you the answer and all that stuff. That's, there's a piece of heaven just sitting in there, right? Because the kingdom of God is in your life because Jesus is king of your life. 
Cool? So, from our position with Christ, we can have our hearts moved. We're sitting in this place in the inner circle with Christ. So as we sit in that place, we have our hearts moved by the things that move God's heart. We have our minds changed to be like that of Christ, to see the world the way God sees it. Excuse me, we see what God's plans are. We can order our lives according to the way that God wants us to. Then, with both our words and our actions, we can bring about change in the world because we're changed. That's what prayer does. We bring ourselves under the the throne of God, we let God change us, and then we walk out from that place changed, bringing that change into the world around us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that really cool? So, like we talked about earlier, so often we we unwittingly prevent God from changing us and doing these things because we present a fake a fake self. I mean, think about think about the last time that you sat down and just like prayed like like not like in the car, not like, hey I'm praying as I do other things, but like I'm gonna sit down and try and pray. It's like hard, right? Can anyone relate to it? It's like hard. Okay, so tell me if you can relate to this at all. Okay, so the activity of, of prayer can be frustrating. Like you sit down, you get you start praying like all right our Father, the Lord of hosts, and thank you for that. You get 15 seconds into it, and then out of nowhere, bang, your, your to-do list for the day pops into your head, right? And it's like, oh yeah, like I need to do this, and I have this homework assignment, and I have this project, I need to call this person. You know, I haven't talked to my parents in like a month, I should probably call them. And then like, it's like five minutes later, you're like, oh shoot, I was like praying, wasn't I? Like, hit, I'm... That's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. What am I doing? I'm, I don't even remember what happened. You know, and then, so you like, I, through a sheer force of will, you're like, okay, I need to pray. Like, that's what I was here to do. So you start back at, at it again. Fifteen more seconds go by, and your, like, to-do list comes out again. And then you're wondering, like, what you're going to eat for lunch, and, you know, all this stuff. And then you're like, then, like, guilt sets in. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm such a horrible Christian, like... <laughs> Why am I so unspiritual? Like, how come no, none of the other Christians I know seem to be having this problem? Like, they seem really spiritual. They can focus, you know? They have this, like, spiritual gift of focus in prayer. And how come I don't have that? Like, I'm just so distracted all the time. And then, by the end of it, you're, like, doing this weird mix of, like, worrying about your day and how horrible of a person you are, and then just wandering around in your thoughts, like, what's going on? Can anyone relate to that? Okay, that's, that's me. So, like... You come to God and you're like, I thought this was supposed to be like exciting and like I thought I was supposed to feel good about myself by the end of this. And then you just feel horrible. Like, I'm so unspiritual. Like, why, God, is this so hard? I thought this was supposed to be easy. Right? So, what's the problem? What is the issue here? Part of it is we have a desire to pray because that's the way we are made. We are made to connect with God, right? And it's hard because of, of the fall, because of sin has causes brokenness in our lives. But what's the problem in this situation? It's that we're trying to be spiritual. It's that we're trying to be something that we're not. We're trying to be someone that is somehow comes off as more spiritual to God than I really am. Like, I'm, I'm distracted. I should be able to come to God with my distraction. I'm, I'm thinking about my day and I'm freaking out about what I'm going to do in this project or whatever. I should be able to bring that to God because that's real. That's who I am. That's what's going on. Excuse me what's going on in my life right now, right? We're trying to be spiritual. We're, we're coming with pretense. We're like putting this mask on like, okay, God, thank you for this smorgasbord of, of amazing delicacies and 
And shoot, look at the time. I better just get something done because I'm getting distracted anyways. Does that make sense? Like, we can't come to God with pretense, with this fakeness. So, that's a big thing. Is we can be real. You can come before God real, as like the real you. I can come before God and like get distracted, think about my day, and be like, God, I'm so sorry. Like, God, I want, I want this time. I'm, I'm bad. I'm like not good at focusing. God, would you help me? do this? Would you help me pray? What, would you just help me connect with you? God, I, I'm, honestly, I'm worried about this homework assignment. God, would you, what do you have to say about this homework assignment? What do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to approach this area of my life? God, I'm, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to, you know, you work through, like, how many of you guys have ever had, like, a prayer list before? Like, that's going to make me more focused in prayer. So I'm going to write down, like, a list of ten things. And you get halfway through it, and you're distracted again. And then, like, a week later, you lose your list. And it's like, whatever. Like, I wasn't even doing it anyways. And you're, like, praying for good things. You're like, oh, God, I pray for the nations. God, I pray for, you know, people in these other countries. And I pray for the, the other believers in these places, which are awesome things to pray for. But why do we do that? I think sometimes we just do that because that's what you think good Christians should pray for. You're not doing that because you necessarily care for those things. Obviously, I think we should care for those things, and we should be praying for those things. But it's not out of this genuine place of, like, God, would you help these, like, hurting people? It's like, God, okay, good Christians pray for the nations. Check, I'm going to pray for the nations. I'm going to pray for hurting believers around the world. I'm going to pray for this. And then by the end, I'm bored, and I don't feel like that was really effective anyways. Can anyone relate to that? We're not bringing our real selves to God. Because it's not like, yes, okay, we should care about those things, but when we bring a fake version of ourselves, God doesn't change that. He doesn't change the fake us. He changes the real us. The kingdom wants to come into our real lives. And so we bring our real, messy, distracted, unfocused, unspiritual lives before God. He has an opportunity to change that and make us more like we want to be and make us more like He wants us to be. Right? So don't get so annoyed at yourself for like, well, I'm so unspiritual. How come I don't care for the nations? How come I don't care for you know, these lost people in my life. Well, God wants to change that if you'd only bring the real you to Him. Does that make sense? And it takes a lot of the pressure off. I know sometimes in my own prayer life, like, you know, I have friends who seem to have these, like, hyper-emotional experiences in their prayer lives. They're, like, weeping. And I'm like, how come I don't do that? Like, I want that. Like, I want to have that kind of connection with God. And so I, like, try and, like, force it to happen. And then I feel really bad about myself when it doesn't happen at the end of my 10 minutes in prayer. Right? So bring our, let's bring our real selves to God because God wants to change the real self. And then 10 years from now, that'll be you. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. But it's not because you're forcing it to happen. It's because of just who you are. Right? So I have a few hindrances uh, to prayer I'm going to close on. One, busyness. Uh, there's a book uh, called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And he talks about, he says, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. Because we're so busy that when we slow down, we find it uncomfortable. Like, I have to be busy. I have to be productive. I, like, work for a church, and I feel that way. It's just, like, my job is not, like, to sit around and, like, do Bible study all day by myself and sing and play guitar, like, by myself. I wish. That would be awesome. But there's like this pressure to like get things done. I need to answer emails. I need to plan this event. I need to do this. I need to like, I need to have this amazing thing to say to this person later that I'm going to see. And it puts all this pressure on me to be productive and to 
do something with every second of my day. And so when I sit down to pray, it's like, this is so weird. I should be doing something productive. How can I explain this to my coworker later that how did I use my time? Well, I sat there and I prayed and I read my Bible for an hour. Like, really? That, you thought that was productive? Like, um, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. Like, you know, no. Like, it's so hard because we have this pressure to be busy all the time. And it, it's so annoying to me, actually, when people are, like, bragging about how busy they are. It's like, dude, who cares? Like, is that productive? Is that actually accomplishing anything? Like, I mean, I'm so busy. Like, give me a pat on the back. Like, dude, who cares? Like, what is that doing? Okay, so busyness. We can't let that thwart our prayer life with God. Martin Luther, who's a famous theologian, he actually said, who changed the world. Like, you would think that he was one of the most productive people uh, in Christian history. He said that, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend at least three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. (laughs) Who of us lives like that? (laughs) I wish I lived like that. I definitely don't live like that. Because when I get busy, prayer is like the, the first thing to go. You know? And c- confession here, I'm like preaching to myself in all of this. So I'm like with you guys, like learning. Okay, so prayer is one of the most powerful and efficient uses of our time. Prayer is one of the most powerful and efficient uses of our time. The second thing, second hindrance is self-sufficiency. Paul Miller, in that book, he goes on, one of the subtlest hindrances to prayer is probably the most pervasive. In the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth because we can do a life without God. Praying seems nice, but it's unnecessary, right? Money can do whatever prayer does, right? God, we pray for this. Well, I can just buy that. I can just go work hard, get some money, and buy that, so I don't need to pray about it. Right? And it's quicker and it's less time consuming. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, when people you know, encourage you to pray, it doesn't really stick. Because it's like, oh yeah, I know I should pray, but I, I don't really need to. Right? And he, goes, he says one more time, if you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you really need in life. It's like, ouch. Like, I may have cried when I read that part. (laughs) I was like, dang, that's me. That's how I operate. But the solution to both these things is helplessness. That's the solution. Because we got to know that we're in desperate need of God all the time. And no no amount of talent, money, or time is going to solve that. We are in desperate need of, of God. We can't save ourselves. We came before God weak, and that's how we grow in the kingdom, is we stay before God weak and helpless. God, I need you to do this in my life. I need you to do this. That's the way we follow him. I have this uh, graphic, I think, up here. Um, Yeah, this one. The cross chart. Okay, so when you come to Christ, the the conversion point, you're aware of your sin, right? You come before God and, and you're like, man, I need you. I need you to cover my sin. But then as you grow, I think a lot of us have like, hey, mature Christians really pray a lot. They're really aware of their need. It's because when you grow in your faith, you become more and more aware of God's, of God's holiness, like the upward line. God, whoa, I had no idea God was that holy. Ten years later, oh my gosh, my mind is still being blown by how much more holy God is. But at the same time, the downward line, you have this growing awareness of your own flesh and your own depravity. <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, like when I came to Christ, I was so naive. I didn't realize how 
wicked I really am, you know? And so this growing gap means the cross grows in its power in our lives. That as we mature, it's not that I become more self-sufficient and more righteous or whatever, but I'm becoming more aware that I desperately need God in my life. And that should cause us to fall on our knees before God, to come boldly before the throne room of God. God, I need you in every area of my life. I desperately need you. And it's kind of like, I heard this quote uh, from someone in academia, that if you get a bachelor's degree, you think you know everything. But then if you get a master's degree, you you realize that you don't know anything. And then if you get your PhD, you realize that no one actually knows anything. (laughs) It's kind of like that. The further you go, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm so horrible and God is so good. Well, how do you even let me live? You know, like, why don't you just smite me? Like, I'm so horrible. You know, and it's like, we just become more aware of our need for God. So, I want to make it real for us. I do want to get practical in our last minute together. A practical model. Uh, It should be simple because it's an, 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 an acronym. Pray, P-R-A-Y. Okay, so the P is praise. Like if you're like coming before God and you're trying to be spiritual, like, okay, Lord of hosts, like you just don't know where to start, you don't know what to do, so I'm just going to ramble on some spiritual phrases that I've heard. This is where you should start, all right? Start by praising God. Identify where has God done amazing things in your life. How awesome is God? Just, and just tell Him, God, you're so good. You've done this in my life. I remember this situation where I was helpless and you, you came in and did a miracle. I remember this situation where you did this. I remember this. God, thank you. You're so amazing. It just grows our view of who God is. Our repent. God, you are so good. But I, I've done this. God, thank, sorry for this in my life. God, I, I've, I've, been, I've been a cheat. God, I've been lying. I've been selfish this week. God, would you forgive me? Would you change that in me? And repent, it doesn't just mean say sorry. It means like to turn. God, let me align myself more with who you are and who you want me to be. God, forgive me for that. Help me to walk forward in, in the God version of that. Right? Repent. Okay? The A is ask. You're allowed to ask God for stuff. That's like encouraged. God says, hey, I'm a good father. I want to give you the things that you're asking for. Remember, we're in the inner circle. You think that someone in the inner circle probably has some, some like a, a direct line to, to God if he's in the inner circle. Ask. And then why is yield? God, have your way in my life. God, what do you want me to do this week? How do you want me to approach my relationships? How do you want me to approach my schoolwork? How do you want me to approach my job, my family? All these things. God, I yield to your will in my life. So pray. Praise, repent, ask, yield. And then two, two pointers is, is I would just encourage us to pray out loud. Um, you know how we can read prayers of Jesus you know how we can know what Jesus prayed? Because he prayed out loud and his disciples heard him. <laughs> and there's something about us like declaring something out loud that like makes it real. You know, it's like uh, it's your thoughts are kind of all over the place and you're like sort of praying and hoping, but then you're just getting distracted. But when you say it out loud, it like makes it definite. It's like, okay, this is real. And it makes repenting even scarier because it's like one thing to think about the bad things you've done and like how like messed up you are. But then when you say it out loud, it's like, okay. That's, that's me, but God can change me. I'm my, bringing my real self to God. I'm declaring this is who you are, and you're doing this in my life. So pray out loud. I would encourage you guys to do that. I think that's powerful. And then if you're praying with other people, they can agree with you. If they, can't, if they don't know what you're praying, they can't agree with you, right? And then the other thing is just be real, like we've been talking about. Come before God real, with all of your mess, with all of your distractions, 
with all these things, and God will change the real you. So that's, that's prayer. That's my nine steps. Uh, I had a few pictures, but I didn't, I didn't use the wiki how. There's like weird oil painting pictures of someone praying. It was weird. Um, so let me pray for us that God would help us pray. I had a friend who texted me this morning because uh, he, he knew that I was going to be talking about prayer. And he's like, dude, I'm praying for you to talk on prayer. It's like prayer inception. <laughs> it's like prayer inception. All right. So God, thank you so much for your goodness, for your mercy. God, you bring us into the place of your inner circle of privilege and honor. God, we don't deserve that, but you make us worthy. God, you call us worthy because of your infinite grace in our lives. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that you'd make us prayer warriors. God, that our nation would be changed because of our time spent with you, in the inner circle, alone with you. God, that, that we wouldn't feel guilty all the time, feeling like shame, like, oh man, I should be doing this, but, but I can't because it's boring and it doesn't feel like it's effective. God, I pray that you would increase our awareness of how much we need you and how much we need to pray, how much we need to come before you, God. God, I pray that for myself. I'm in this process too. God, thank you for growing us together. And I pray that, that this community here, God, would be a community that prays, would be a community that, that ushers your kingdom into this world because we're alone with you, letting, letting you change us and bringing that change into our classrooms, into our uh, friend groups, into our jobs. God, thank you so much for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we are uh, wrapping up our time together. Um, on your way out, if this is your first time, please stop by the Welcome Center. We actually have a gift for you uh, because you're in the inner circle. We have a gift for you because this is, this is awesome. And then if you want some way to respond, if you have questions about Bluemont, what we believe, or you want to respond, like give your life to Christ or get baptized or something like that, fill out the bottom of your bulletin. You can tear it off and put it in the box by the Welcome Center as well on your way out. So make sure you guys meet someone and have a great week.